Hello, welcome back to the Live From This podcast. Uh, I can't believe November's already halfway done, but um, we're marching along in the year. I'm going to be covering a couple of things on this podcast. I want to cover the Sotheby's Important Watches auction that took place last week. In our last podcast, we covered Philips, we covered Antiquorum, <clears throat> excuse me, and, um, and Christie's. But the Sotheby's auction had not taken place by the, when we recorded that podcast. So I wanted to go over the important watches auction that took place um, on November uh, the 9th. I'll then briefly uh, discuss the GPHG awards that happened last week, which were a, a real, really great success. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to be in Geneva for them, but it was great to be able to watch them online. And um, some real uh, winners that I'll be honest, I'm very proud of. Um, and, and it was just a great, great, um, great event to see these um, watchmakers accomplish what they did. And then I'll um, also be talking about the Swiss watch exports for the month of September, uh, which were released and are tell a very interesting story about uh, what Swiss watches uh, have done uh, this year. So, um, <clears throat> as I mentioned, the first uh, topic we're going to be discussing is the Sotheby's Important Watches auction. This was a live auction that took place in Geneva on November 9th. Um, and um, to the way that they describe it is Sotheby's is thrilled to present our important watch auction in November, encompassing highly attractive and collectible watches from renowned makers such as Patek Philippe, Rolex, Arma Piguet, Vacheron Constantin, and Cartier. Uh, it further includes both vintage and contemporary pieces from various makers, as well as ind- independent brands like F.P. Jordan. The variety of watches that they sold were actually really, um, really great to, to look through. Um, what is What was quite cool in my mind was they didn't start with a Rolex Oyster Perpetuals uh, with the uh, interesting dial colors. They did have one of these, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, one of these watches that did sell at their auction, and I will get the price for you right now because I did. It's an interesting comparable with the other watches, um, but they didn't start with those uh, watches. But they did have lot number one forty two, which was the Oyster uh, Perpetual Tiffany Blue Dial, reference twelve four three zero zero. It was estimated to go between thirty and forty thousand. It went for thirty one and a half thousand. I believe the one at Phillips went for around the same, and then the one at Christie's went for about fifty thousand. So, uh, difference in pricing for sure there. But their watch auction started off with a couple of modern uh, Patek Philippe's. It then rolled into some some uh, vintage pieces that had some really great showings from Alanga and Zuna, uh, and of course uh, brands like Rolex. One of the watches that was actually pretty cool is they had a reference one one eight two zero six which is a day date in platinum with a light blue dial uh, from Rolex, and it went for 32,000 US dollars. Really cool, smooth bezel, platinum case. It it really is a beautiful piece. They had a nice range of Daytonas, uh, Automa Piguet Royal Oaks. They had some Nautilai, I guess. (laughs) Uh, Had some really cool Nautilus uh, lots as well. Um, So really cool, cool watches that were sold. I, I come, kind of call out two watches that I thought were quite interesting. Excuse me, three watches that I thought were quite interesting during this auction. The first was lot number 90. This was a watch that I posted on my Instagram, uh, on the Life Nurse Instagram, uh, which was a Patek Philippe reference 2570-1A, which was a yellow gold anti-magnetic watch from 1956. Um, 
the first uh, introduction of this reference was in um, 1958 and was one of the first amagnetic watches put into production by uh, Patek Philippe. This was, of course, trying to um, trying to combat the uh, the um, problem of magnetism with the accuracy of um, watches. Many of these came in uh, stainless steel cases, but this one was actually in yellow gold, which was fairly rare. The watch was overall in really great condition. It was a time only. It's a time only piece with applied hour markers, hours and minutes hand, and a sub-seconds. You then have Patek Philippe and Genève written at 12 o'clock and below. The Genève line is, amag uh, is uh, amagnetic. Um, I love the condition of the case. It was re really in great condition. You could see a, a faint outline of the hallmark on the, on the uh, bottom right lug, which I thought showed that the watch was in fairly good condition as well. Um, a beautiful piece and... and uh, a nice watch to pick up as an add to your collection because I think it was another example of Patek Philippe um, safeguarding the innovations that they were able to to do. Uh, the estimate was between fifteen and thirty thousand Swiss francs. This one actually sold for eighty two thousand two hundred, which is a fairly large amount of money considering that it uh, is a time only Patek Philippe. But it is early technology for them to combat um, magnetism in, in in watches. So if you didn't see pictures, there'll be links in the show notes to, to all these watches so that you can take a look. Uh, one of the hallmarks of this collection and, and was sort of the, the, uh, the face of this important watches auction was lot number 95 from one of my favorite brands and, of course, from uh, the line of watches that I absolutely adore. And that is, it was a Vacheron Constantin Chocolatone reference 4764. Um, this was an extremely unique 4764 because it was a possibly unique platinum version of this triple date wristwatch uh, and dates to 1958. The Chocolatone has been produced, uh, the Chocolatone is a very, very collectible um, grouping, of, group, grouping of watches. It sort of is in this um, square, uh, square shape with soft edges. What makes it really uh, stand out is this triple-stepped case that it that it has. Um, these were produced um, by Vacheron Constant throughout their history and have been revitalized in the historique line. Um, they produced these both in time-only versions, but they also produced these with a triple uh, triple date or triple calendar complication. Um, as I mentioned. Uh, the nineteen, and I'll sort of read through um, the the description here that they that they give to this. Um, so the present platinum version of the reference forty seven sixty four is to date the one and only piece referenced in the archives of Vacheron Constantin. It was sold in Athens, Greece, in nineteen fifty seven and is fresh to market, hence the first time in auction. This unique piece impresses by its sheer presence and strong proportions. It is furthermore offered with its original unrestored dial and a Vacheron Constantin certificate of authenticity. Without a doubt, this might be the only occasion for passionate collectors to attain such a historical significant, historically significant timepiece, as a second opportunity might not be not appear so quickly again, if ever. Um, what's cool if you go to the link in the show notes is they actually give a description of all the the versions of the chocolaton that uh, had been produced, ranging from the first one, which was the forty seven thirty seven. Um, uh, leading up all the way to the reference 86300, which was in their historic historique, um, collection in uh, 2013. Uh, 
Um, these are super popular with, with collectors, as you, as you can imagine. It looks like a, it's called chocolatone because it's, it looks like a little piece of chocolate. I, I imagine, I personally imagine sort of like one of the lint squares or if you, um, if you like other uh, um, chocolate brands, you can imagine just a little piece of chocolate that you'd be wearing on your wrist. This one being made out of platinum. This was an interesting lot because as they mentioned, the dial is unrestored. Um, however, it isn't in the all original um, sort of untouched uh, condition that maybe some collectors would be looking for in a watch. There is some age on the dial. There is a, a fair amount of patina. You can also see some of the um, some of the dates have sort of um, you know uh, they're uh, for lack of a better way of saying it, they're just coming off a little bit. There's quite a bit of wear to the moon phase at six o'clock. Um, you can see in the, the day of the week and the month wheel that there's a little bit of wear around the outside. There's a decent amount of wear on the dial. So I think this watch, while pretty unique in its, in its um, you know, being a platinum version of this watch, uh, is in, con in, a con in condition for someone who likes the look of vintage and, and likes the, um, a watch that's been worn. So I think it sort of narrowed the potential buyers a little bit because of its condition. The estimate for this watch is between 500 and a million Swiss francs. I think this is a fairly good estimate for this watch, um, considering the condition of its dial. I, I forgot to mention, the case looks in decent condition. I wouldn't be surprised if it's somewhat polished. Um, given the state of the dial, I, I think it would be kind of... Um, unrealistic to think that the the case hadn't been uh, polished it ended up selling for 604,800 Swiss francs which um i think is is a reasonable uh price for this considering uh considering where uh considering the condition and the the rarity of this piece even though uh it's a small subset of collectors who might be interested in it it really is a significant watch in the history of the chocolatone and uh, I'm sure the collector is a very huge fan of this of this watch from Vacheron Constantin, and uh, I, I won't I won't lie I'm jealous uh, of whoever was able to buy it. Um, so super excited for them, um, but a staple of this of this auction for sure. The last watch I just wanted to mention from the Sotheby's important watch auction was a very significant FP Journe. This was lot number sixty five. This was a Resonance uh, pre-production in platinum uh, with uh, um, dual time zone wristwatch with power reserve indication and brass movement from 1999. As always, I'll just quickly uh, touch on, um, uh, on, on how Sotheby sort of describes this. Um, so they, they sort of talk about the history of Journe and, and, and the Resonance. But they mentioned that Jorn officially launched the Resonance in 2000 with a series of 20 pieces. Um, they were numbered 1 to 20 and suffixed with 00R for uh, 2000, the year in which they were made and the cases. Uh, they were po powered by a rhodium base plate movement, the caliber 1499, a feature that Jorn replaced for uh, 18 karat gold in 2003 and 2004. Uh, as such, it is estimated that fewer than 2,000 pieces were made with this early brass movement. 
Uh, they also exhibit a thinner font uh, used on the power reserve indicator and two-tone uh, subsidiary dials. So the first serial produced um, watch was in 2000, and so Sotheby's continues on to say that this watch, lot 65, however, is still rare. Uh, is rarer still. The newly identified pre-production series in which this watch belongs is one of only approximately 10 pieces uh, and represents the very first Resonance watches ever made. These pieces were exceptionally fitted into cases produced in 1999, the same year as the official launch of the FP Journe brand. They also share many of the same distinguishing characteristics of the um, pre-susceptions subscription and subscription examples the pre-production resonance however were uh, suffix uh, with the slash 99r and started at numbers 21 slash 99r due to the fact that the numbers were only were 1 through 20 were already reserved for their subscription production on this basis we can confirm that the present lot engraved 028-99r as the eighth resonance ever to leave the Jorn, Jorn's workshop and likely made uh, at the hands of Jorn himself. And so with all of that, um, I think this is a fairly uh, good indication of how rare this specific watch is. You have a pre-production resonance that was likely made by Jorn himself, um, one of only 10, did I say 10? I think I said 10. Uh, da, da, da. I want to make sure I don't miss uh, misspeak here. Um, sorry, 20. Uh, nope, sorry, 10. <laughs> I am right. It's one of approximately 10 of these pre-production watches that were ever sold and feature a uh, brass movement, which is uh, rare for um, for Jorn's, uh, for, for, for one to find a Jorn of that, of that, uh, that with a metal of that, of that, um, with a movement of that metal. <laughs> I apologize, tripping up on my words there. So um, for those who are interested in Jorn, I think this is a very unique opportunity to own something extremely rare from the brand um, and a very exciting lot. It was estimated to go between 500 and a million Swiss francs. It ended up going for just over a million Swiss francs, which I think shows the rarity, shows the collectability of Jorn's and the pre-production models that, that, um, that have come to market here. I highly doubt this will come to market anytime soon, but we'll have to see what, what happens uh, later. Uh, a beautiful piece, huge fan of Jorn, um, and uh, a nice result for the Sotheby's important watch auction. So that's it. Um, very Some, some super, um, super cool watches that, uh, that uh, ended up selling, uh, I think... Uh, it's, uh, you know, a big accomplishment from Sotheby's uh, to sell these watches, some beautiful watches that did sell. Congratulations, Sotheby's, on a great auction, and I'm looking forward to um, the ones later this month. We're going to move on to the GPHG award ceremony that took place last week. This was an incredible event hosted, I believe, on, f on, uh, on Friday um, of last week. And... There, sorry, excuse me, I believe it was Thursday. And uh, uh, I already covered GPHG uh, on some past podcasts. So if you want to get some more um, information about some of the watches that were featured, you can check that out. I'll put a link in the show notes to, to the awards and who, who won each of the awards. I'm going to call out a couple because I think there were some really major accomplishments throughout this, um, 
throughout this award ceremony. Uh, the first one I want to call out was the Audacity Prize, which went to the uh, Octafinisma Ultra 10th anniversary with the QR code. It's a revolutionary watch. I don't really have too much to say about it, but I think it's I'm, it shows that um, people still feel the the Octafinisma is a, is an incredible um, incredible piece of what watchmaking has been in the re- recent years. Of course, I'm going to uh, to uh, speak about the Challenge Watch Prize, which went to the Mad Edition Mad One Red. I found this to be quite an interesting uh, winner, not because I think the Mad One is anything. Um, is anything worse than the watches that it was against but there were some incredible watches in this challenge watch uh, prize uh category but i was super excited to see them win this uh, it's it's very exciting to see mbnf really grow into this uh, incredibly uh well-respected and well-followed now brand and i think it just demonstrates what what max has been able to accomplish i wanted to also call out the Vutilainen that won the artistic craft watch prize this watch is the the the, the I, I believe it's Jaiku or Jiku is an absolutely crazy watch. Um it's one of the greatest uh, one of the greatest lacquered artists of Japan, Tatsui Kitamura creates a, creates works of lacquered that lacquered art that stand at the pinnacle of Japanese tradition. It brings a craft that has existed for hundreds of years into the present, exemplifying the passion to preserve the soul, spirit and identity of a traditional Japanese culture as expressed in the Edo period. And so basically what this watch um, has is this incredible blue and green and yellow um, dial that has this Japanese lacquered finish by this incredible uh, um, incredible uh, um, artsman. Kari Butulainen also um, had a huge... Um, part to play in creating this piece when you flip it over you have an exceptionally uh, well constructed watch beautiful finishing to it and just something that is uh, really uh, something to be, be behold it's a one piece limited edition series um, but i as uh, you probably can imagine uh, love that kari butilainen is getting um this the credit where where he, where he deserves it um, Max Boozer has done a lot of work with him at MBNF, and so it was exciting to see him win that. I also wanted to call out the Chronograph Watch Prize, which went to the uh, Grunefeld 1941 Chronograph Tantalum, which is, it's just, uh, the Grunefeld brothers are, are geniuses. I think it's hard to to describe them any anywhere way else. Uh, GVHG describes them as the horological brothers, um, it's a, a classic configuration with its column wheel and lateral coupling, a combination synonymous with high-end watchmaking. Its movement, the caliber G04, is um, a symphony of 408 parts, which not only encompass quality materials, but also uphold the Grunefeld's no-compromise approach to finishing. When you flip this watch over, it has an exceptional um, construction that is unlike anything you'll probably see, um, and the finishing is uh, just bar none many angles many different sort of brush to to almost like a it looks like a matte finish to me but it's obviously not um really really well um well constructed um and finished movement uh so it was nice to see them win it it was also nice to see them go up to win the, to get the award together they were so uh, full of energy and it was just nice to 
nice to see. I'll briefly just quickly touch on, I'm glad H. Moser won the Turbion Watch Prize. Incredibly produced watch with so much depth in the, in the construction of the movement, um, especially with the angles where there's basically no movement parts and you can see straight through. Uh, I'm a, obviously a huge fan of H. Moser. But really what I wanted to talk about was the Ogidor, the grand prize that um, was given this year, was given to the MBNF Legacy Machine Sequential Evo. I was so excited that MBNF won two awards here. When this watch was actually part of the um, Chronograph um, watch prize category, and so when Grunerfeld won it, I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that MBNF didn't win that one. It's, it, it's an absolute masterpiece. And then as the show went on, uh, I started to think, oh, wait, this actually might be up for the um, for the uh, grand prize. And of course, that ended up happening, and it was just so exciting that MBNF won it. One of the things that I think is so important about this watch winning, it shows um, it shows the, the abilities of MBNF to bring together watchmakers who are exceptionally talented and create things that are essentially one of a kind. Um, it also... Uh, demonstrates the absolute genius of Steve McDonald, or Steve McDonald. Um, he's dedicated th the last five years of his life uh, to the LM uh, sequential Evo, as Max mentioned in, in his speech during the during the event. And so, um, what he has created is, uh, I mean, there's no no there's no way to 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 really. Um, put it in, in any other way besides the idea that this watch was essentially um, an unbreakable or the perfect um, chronograph movement ever produced. Might not be to your taste the way that the movement sort of integrates with how the, the watch looks, but this is essentially um, one of the best chronographs ever produced by any watchmaker. And so first off, Stephen McDonald, I, I doubt you're listening to this, but you are pure genius. You have created something. You've created multiple things with the. If we look back at the at the LM Perpetual, you created uh, one of the best uh, perpetual calendar movements um, ever, uh, and now you've created one of the best, uh, one of the best um, chronograph movements uh, ever. Uh, and then a big shout out to Max Bruiser and everyone at MBNF for being able to find these watchmakers and giving them a platform to do exactly what they do, and that is do uh, in, uh, is basically just create and and create the best watchmaking that they can um it really is a an accomplishment and and um and so excited for for you for all of the people involved with the mad one and the um lm uh, sequential evo really great award ceremony as you can tell i'm pretty passionate about the winners <laughs> um we'll move on to um the swiss watch exports uh, for the month of September 2022. So Swiss watch exports grew uh, particularly strong in September at 2.2 billion uh, francs. They achieved one of the highest values in their history thanks to an increase of 19.1% compared with September 2021. Nine months into the year, uh, exports already stand at 18.1 billion francs, 12.6% higher than last year. I believe the last time I was on here, I thought that things were going to slow down as we went into the summer, but clearly... September showed resilience uh, to Swiss watch exports, which I think is a great story. Uh, to be honest, I think uh, macroeconomically people are on edge about a recession, but it hasn't really hit as heavily. We are seeing some big companies like Meta and Twitter and Amazon who have announced that they're probably going to be laying off some workers. And so uh, I think that might be the start of it, maybe. Who knows? Um, but 
up until this point, I think we probably will have a fairly good results into uh, October and maybe halfway through November. We'll have to see what happens for the rest of the year. The 12-month moving average is around uh, that uh, 10%, uh, let's call it 12.6% mark, so um, pretty, pretty significant there. All materials made significant contributions in the general growth of the value of exports. By the numbers, the other materials category increased by 168,000, which was 63% more compared to September 2021, which drove up uh, total volumes pretty significantly. Conversely, steel watches actually dropped by 4.3%, uh, and those made up of other metals um, also lost ground of about negative 26%. Um, but overall, uh, the number of items that were sold was were up by about 4% in nine months. Um, price categories were fairly showed fairly good results. The only thing that was down was between two hundred and five hundred six francs, which were down in double digits. I'll put a link in the show notes so you can you can read through this. But uh, all price categories were pretty resilient. Top six markets were the U.S., China, the United Kingdom, Japan, Hong Kong, and Singapore. In that order, they all made up about fifty six percent of uh, the total market share of all Swiss watch exports. All of them had fairly good results. U.S. at thirty three percent up. China up by 15%, United Kingdom up by 18%, Japan up by 34%. The only country that was not up was Hong Kong, which was down by 2.8%, and Singapore was up by 38%. Um, most other uh, markets also recorded double-digit growth, including China, the United Kingdom, Germany, Italy, and South Korea, among others. So again, fairly good results for, for, um, for Swiss watches. Um, we'll have to see what happens for the rest of the year, but uh, I can imagine that maybe next year, if, if things go south for, uh, economically, we might see a pullback in some of these results. As I mentioned, there'll be links in the show notes to everything that we've discussed, so be sure to check that out if you want to look at some of the pictures of the watches that I discussed from the Sotheby's Important Watches Auction, or check out the prize, the prize list um, from GPHG. It'll all be in the show notes, so be sure to check that out. Hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the, or follow this podcast if you like podcasts about watches and share it with a friend who, who is interested in uh, watches as well. If you are feeling generous and wouldn't mind uh, rating this podcast, really help me out. Check out, check out our website, leftfromtherist.com for more watch content and our YouTube channel if you want to get some more content over there. Check out us out on social medias. We'd love to interact, you about, interact with you about watches. So um, don't feel, um, feel shy. Drop us a line. We'd love to talk about um, anything that you want in the watch world. With that said, guys, thank you so much for listening to this podcast. And until next time.